Jeremiah. Everybody turn to Jeremiah. If you have your Bibles with you or your phones or tablets, turn to God's Word today and we're going to look at a great passage of Scripture. I'm excited about this message today. The Lord started burning this in my heart several months ago. And, and I was just waiting and saying, Lord, when am I, I going to get to share this? And, and uh, last week, the Lord was stirring my heart for, for me to begin to share this this week. I want to talk to you. We're in a series called Passion for God in the Last Days. Matthew 24, we looked at it last week. It talked about Jesus was answering questions about things that were going to be taking place. A lot of those things are not enjoyable things. But in the midst of that text last week, Jesus said something that was just, just stirred my heart. And it was that in the last days, because of the lawlessness and the other things that we're going to be facing, it says the love of many will grow cold. And church, I don't want my love for Jesus to ever grow cold. I don't want our church's love for the Lord to ever grow cold. And so we started last week, and any time you look at those passages of Scripture, the Lord automatically stirs my heart for my kids. Because I'm going to be out of here probably in the next 25, 30 years. But you know what? My kids and my grandkids are still going to be here. And I think about the things that Jesus prophesied, what he said was going to take place. And as a, as a father and a grandfather, anytime I study eschatology, that's the study of the last things, I think, Lord, what about my kids? What about my grandkids? What can I do? And so today I want to talk to you about our kids and our grandkids being passionate in the last day. And I also want to talk to you, it's not just about your children or your grandchildren. I know there are some here today that are younger and don't have any children. Others that, that don't have kids today. But I want you to think about this. Um, as a, Melinda and I have three kids and we have six grandkids in church. I pray for them all the time. But that's not all the children that I think about or all the children that I have. I have many, many sons and daughters in the faith that are much younger than I, that I know that most likely I'll go to be with Jesus before they do. And so I don't stop praying just for my children and my grandchildren. I pray for my sons and daughters in the faith. And guess what? Everyone here is a son and daughter in the faith. Amen? And so we need to pray for an outpouring of God's Holy Spirit on our sons and our daughters in the last day. We need that. And so I want you to join me. Let's look at this first verse in Jeremiah. Chapter 29, verse 11. Chapter 29, verse 11. It's a very favorite verse for many people. And I love this verse too. And I want you to look at it with me. God says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go, go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. 
and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. That's passion for Jesus. Amen? God desires that we have that passion to seek Him with all of our heart. Not just a portion. Not part. Not God is just an add-on or when I get into trouble, He's a big brother I can call upon or He's a Santa Claus when I want something. Amen? That He's part of my life constantly. He's my creator. He's my savior. He's my deliverer. He's everything that I need. I want us to to think about these things today. And in this passage, we need to note something. Because this passage relates to where we are today. This passage took place in a time and in a culture when there was destruction because of the corruption in the culture. They were, uh, Israel was going to be destroyed. They were going to be hauled off into captivity because their culture had turned away from God. Does that, does that sound like anything that we're experiencing today? <laughs> Do we live in a culture? Are you all with me today? Everybody just kind of sitting there. Yes, Pastor, amen! (laughs) I I love this because, look, Israel was in, in a difficult situation. They were going to be carried off into captivity. And and and. God gives them this promise in the midst of a culture that was decaying and corrosive just like our culture is today. God gives them this promise. What is God's promise? His promise is that there is a hope and a future. Look at verse 1 again. God says, I know the thoughts I think towards you. First of all, God thinks about you. And how does God think about you? With thoughts of peace and not of evil. Is anybody thankful for that? God thinks about you and his thoughts aren't, I want to get even with them because they messed up. Some people think that way. But his thoughts are, I want the very best for you. His thoughts are, are peaceful. His thoughts are to give us a hope and a future, it says. To give you a hope and a future. I love that verse because they were in a time of corruption and guess what? God says, there's still hope. There's still hope for you. There's still hope for your family. There's still hope for your children. There's still hope for our state and for our nation. I'm not going to give up hope because God's word says that those are his thoughts for us. That's his heart for us, not only as an individual, but also as a nation. Now, I want you to turn with me just a couple of pages over to Jeremiah 31. Specifically here, it's talking about children. I want to look at Jeremiah 31 and verse 15. Thus says the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, Lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children. 
refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Her children were gone. Her children were gone. And church, today, the percentage is about 60 to 80% of the children that grow up in church, go to youth group, go to children's church, grow up in a godly home, when they go out into the world or to a secular college, 60 to 80% of them forget about their faith and their walk with God. That's why this message is so important today. Because all of us have family or friends. And again, it's not just about our immediate children and grandchildren. You can pray for your children. Guess what? My mom is 85 years old. I am still her son. And she still prays for me. So it's not about when, only when our children are small. But church, we need to fight the good fight of faith. I don't want to be a part of that 60 or 80% in our church where that when our children go off to college, they turn their back on God. And there's reasons why that takes place. One of the main reasons is because of the influence of the world today, the spirit of the world. I, I'm pray, praying today for an outpouring of God's Spirit on all of His sons and daughters. Why? Because there is a spirit of the world that is being poured out on all His sons and daughters. And it's the spirit of the world, the spirit of corruption. It's the enemy that's trying to steal, kill, and destroy and deceive us. Amen? Now look at verse 16. This gives us hope. Thus says the Lord, refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. God's telling her to stop weeping, to stop the bitter tears. And then he says, for your work shall be rewarded. How many like that idea? For your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord. And they shall come back from the land of the enemy. Hallelujah! <laughs> That's a promise, church. That's a promise for us. It's a promise for the children. Some of you have children that are grown, that aren't living for the Lord. Some of you may have uh, children that are teens and they're struggling with their faith. This is a promise. It's a promise because it says there that there was work on behalf of the mother. Now I want to ask you, what is that work that God's rewarding? What is that work? Well, I believe according to Scripture, it doesn't lay it out and say this is the work. But we see other places in Scripture what God calls us to be as parents. Amen? And, and I believe the, the work is, first of all, bearing children for the woman. Because we live in a nation today where 614,820 abortions took place last year. So just bearing the child, and all the women here would probably agree with me in saying that's work. I guarantee you Jasper will tell you that's work. She just went through it. 
So I think it's, it's, it begins with just giving the, 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 ch- the chance for the child to live life. Secondly, I think it speaks of raising children in the fear of the Lord. I believe it's teaching children God's Word. I believe it it is sorrowing over and praying over our children with tears and sacrifice. That's the work I think that God's called us to do. Verse 17, look at this. There is hope in your future, says the Lord, that your children shall come back to their own border. Amen? That's God's promise for those of you who who raised your children the best you could in in the fear of the Lord, and they've turned their back, that is God's promise. You need to pray that every day over them and claim them. Say, Lord, you gave me a promise, and I believe they're coming back to the borders of God. They're coming back. So because of the work of the godly mother here, God's rewarding those that are going to return from captivity. Now, there's one more verse that I want as our text today, and I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. Familiar passage of Scripture. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I want you to notice, it doesn't just talk about sons and daughters in, in the sense of being young. It talks about young men and old men. It's talking about all those who are sons and daughters of God and he's promised in the last day to pour his spirit out on all flesh. Church, we need to pray for an outpouring of God's Holy Spirit upon his sons and daughters in the last day. We need to pray. I I do that all the time. I pray for my kids. I have for years. I pray, God, pour your spirit out upon them. And I pray that for my, for my grandkids now. Pour your spirit out upon them. And this week, uh, Josh and Michelle, most of you know, are in a mission school and they're doing missionary work in, in Mexico currently. And they had a, an event this weekend, yesterday, and Josh uh, went out with Hattie. Hattie's six years old. And Hattie went with him to evangelize in Mexico And he sent us a picture of Hattie standing with a a little Mexican girl. And she had a brand new coloring book in her backpack. And she took her coloring book out and said, Daddy, I want to give this coloring book to this little girl. That's what happens when you pray for the Spirit of God to be poured out upon your children and your grandchildren. Amen. That's what I want. I want that for every one of you. I want that for our church body. I want God to pour His Spirit out upon all of us. We live in a cultural environment where our children are growing up with just destructive 
teaching and destructive things all around us. This past week I read an article about a CNN newscaster that made this statement. He said we shouldn't have a child's sex listed on the birth certificate because we don't know what they're going to choose to be later in life. That is the mentality in our culture today. And, and you know, we're, we go in shock and say, what? But that's what we're facing. That's the atmosphere that our children are growing up in. It's deception. It's confusion. It's, it's just crazy. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. Not in the image of King Kong. In the image of God. He created him. Male and female, he created them. Male and female, he created. You say, Pastor, are you going to get political this morning? No, I'm, I'm getting biblical. We need to know that there's hope, but we need to know, church, that we need to teach the next generation the truth. Amen? There are only two sexes, male and female. God created them. Created us that way. And, and there are those that come and say, well, pastor, every once in a while there, there's, a, there's a problem, there's an exception. Yes, there are abnormalities. One out of every 1,500 to 2,000 children, there's some type of uh, abnormality. But that doesn't stop the fact that God created male and female. He created everything perfect. Now we have a sinful world, and in this sinful world, we have abnormalities that are contrary to God's design. Amen? The last time I looked in science, it said that there were the X and Y chromosome for a male and XX for female. And yes, there, again, there are abnormalities, but that's God's design. That's the way He created us. In church, I, I read an article just yesterday that said that there were 81 different genders. 81! And that's what's being taught. This was a, this was a, a professor, and he was laying out his case for all these abnormalities. So humanity has, he's saying, not male and female, but humanity has 81 different genders. In church, it's sad. In church, yesterday, Melinda and I were shopping, and there was a, a man in front of us who was obviously a man, but he was dressed like a woman and had his nails painted, and he, he was very effeminate. And you know what? My heart went out for him. I didn't mock him. I didn't ridicule him. But I began to pray for him. I said, God, bring the revelation of Jesus Christ into his heart and life. Lord, set him free from the deception of the enemy. And Lord, let him be all that you've called him to be. Church, I, I don't hate people that are homosexual or lesbians or any of these other 81 different uh, sexual preferences. I don't. And church, I'll tell you right now, they are welcome in the house of God. They are welcome in this place. 
And if somebody like this man that Melinda and I saw yesterday, if someone like that comes into this house, I'm going to love them to life in Jesus. That's my goal. I'm not going to condone their lifestyle. I'm not going to say that, that God, so many of them say, well, I can't help it. This is just the way God created me. No, God didn't create you that way. And I know that isn't politically correct. And again, I'm not trying to be political today. I'm being biblical. Our kids are growing up with this garbage all around them. We have to protect them and pray for the Spirit of God to be poured out in the last days on His sons and daughters. Amen? In Proverbs chapter 31, today we, we've got a distortion of, of, of how we teach our our young girls and boys, how they should be. They're growing up in a culture that tells girls, basically they're telling girls you need to be more like a boy and boys you need to be more like a girl. Is anybody with me today? I want you to know God's word tells us what a woman and a man should be like. In Proverbs 31, we have a long list. Yes, this, this woman was a businesswoman. But she was so much more. And the climaxing verse of Proverbs 31 and 30 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Amen. Notice he says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing. I had something funny happen a few weeks ago. I had a friend over to the house, and he was walking through the house, and he came across some pictures of Melinda and I when we were newlyweds, and we were young. And he came out in a minute. He'd gone into the back room, and he came out in a minute, and he looked at me with eyes of shock and said, Wow, I saw that picture of you and Melinda. Wow, y'all were pretty good looking back then. I said, oh, thanks. And I mean, that's the way it totally came across. Like, what happened to you? And I wanted to say, well, buddy, you don't look too hot yourself. But notice this verse, it says, beauty is passing. Beauty is passing. Yet we tell our girls that as they grow up, all that they are is, is connected with the visual beauty and that they've got to flaunt that visual beauty to be a real woman. In church, God's Word says, a woman who fears the Lord. Amen? I, I, I agree with you. Melinda and I are not as good-looking as we were when we were 20. But you know what? She is a woman that fears the Lord. And she is precious to me. She's a godly mother, a godly grandmother. And I'm thankful for that. And that is what true and genuine beauty is. Our daughters need to know that. Their beauty comes from their relationship with the living God. So many of our, our kids grow up and they, they, they think they have to change themselves, their look, their appearance. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't try to look good. 
I think our bodies, we should be a good steward and, you know, not take care of ourselves. But church, who we are, the essence of who we are is not caught up in our physical attractiveness. Amen? Amen. In 2 Timothy, God's Word tells us something else. It tells us that this world is going to be experiencing some great darkness. And one of the things, I just talked about the girls for a minute. I just want to talk about the boys for a second. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, you know, our boys are confused because they're warned about toxic masculinity. And the world or the culture that we live in today has an idea that toxic masculinity is, is our true masculinity has to do with being a lord over or being a brute or a bully. In church, that's not what God calls masculinity. Amen? In 1 Timothy chapter uh, 6, it says, But you, O, o man of God, Flee these things, and it's talking about, prior to this, the love of money and greediness. And then it tells us what to pursue. As a man of God, we're to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Did you hear that? Patience and gentleness. A true man of God who's masculine will be gentle to his wife and to his children. Being gentle doesn't take away from your manliness. But we're going to be righteous. We're going to desire to live for God. We're going to be godly. We want to be faithful. We want to love. And then in verse 12, it tells us to fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life. Those are the directions for God's masculinity. Amen? And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17... There's a little tag that Peter puts in there, and, and I want you to think about it. It says, first of all, honor all people. A godly man, a masculine man, the way God created us, will not be someone who judges others by the color of their skin or the, the money they have or the education or anything. It says, we will honor all people. That means we acknowledge them as equal, honoring them. Then it says, love the brotherhood. Man, it's okay to have a brotherhood. <laughs> As godly men, we need to come along and encourage one another, stand with one another, challenge one another. We need accountability in our lives. We need the brotherhood. Then Peter says, fear God. A masculine man recognizes that one day we're going to stand before God and have to give an account for the life that we lived and how we raised our family. That we recognize so many people think, well, you just need to be more like Jesus and just be totally passive and just love. Yes, Jesus is love, but he was not passive. In fact, he built his own whip and went to the temple and chased the money changers out of the temple and overturned the tables and it was premeditated. He sat down and built his own whip. 
How many want to be more like Jesus? Some of you are thinking, yeah. No, but he was coming against the evil. He was standing up against what wasn't right in the house of God. And he was addressing it. And then finally it says, honor the king. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Honor the king. Church, as Christians, we may not like who is in our ultimate place of authority as president, but we honor the position. And we pray for them. Amen? And I believe this also talks about patriotism. Our culture is anti-patriot today. And whether they like it or not, this is the greatest nation that has ever risen in the history of the world. Why? Because of our foundation of Jesus Christ. And I've got something exciting, and I haven't announced it yet. But July 4th, we are having someone from Wall Builders who is uh, David and Tim Barton's ministry. Tim, uh, David, David is the historian. And he has all kind of literature that shows the foundation of this nation was Christian by far. And he's going to come this 4th of July. And not only is he a member and a speaker, not Tim or David, but... Uh, Another member of the team is coming, and they're going to speak to us. But also, he is also a senator in the state of Texas. And he is a born-again born believer. He used to be a pastor. Now he's into politics. God's using him. And he's going to address the fact that our nation was birthed because of a divine plan of God. And I'm not ready to give that up. How about you? I'm ready to fight the good faith. And our children need to be raised with patriotic values, recognizing we don't worship the state and there's no perfect government, but that God has used this nation in the past and He's going to continue to use this nation if we get our act together. Amen? I want to go on. 2 Timothy, I mentioned it a, a moment ago. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, it says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Why do we need to pray for our children? Pray for the sons and daughters of God, for an outpouring of His Spirit, because perilous times are here. It goes on and says, For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, Unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Doesn't that describe our culture? And then the last one, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away. Church, today you can find groups of people that are claiming to be believers, claiming to be Christians. Yet, this verse says that they're not living that powerful life 
that comes from welcoming the Spirit of God to rule and reign. It's possible in these last days, according to this Scripture, that they have a form of godliness. Church, I don't want to have a form of godliness. Amen? I don't want people to drive by and see our sign and come and say, I'm going to visit that church. And, and they come in and it's just a little club where we sing a few songs and hear a little poem and we go home. I want them to come to this house and realize we welcome the Spirit of the living God to be poured out not only in our church as a whole, but individually. Lord, we pray for the Spirit of God to be poured out on our sons and our daughters. We're living, this verse says we're living in demonic times. And in Exodus it describes a darkness in chapter 10, verse 21. It says, a darkness which may even be felt. In church, I think we're living in days like that. When the darkness is so evident, it can even be felt. Today our kids are exposed to so much uh, sexual exploitation. I heard a, an, a pastor just... Uh, the other day say that he researched it and according to the uh, statistics there are approximately uh, 10 different sexual windows or scenes for every hour of TV. And I trust this pastor because he was a mentor of mine. I don't think he just voluntarily just came up with a number so what what is the result of that well our our teens are growing up and they're they're involved in promiscuity and fornication and our society retitles that our society our society calls it just uh, sexually active it's awful quiet in here this is the world we're living in so our, our kids, you know, Melinda and I were talking just the other day about how young our children are and they're talking about dating and talking about the opposite sex and talking about pickup lines. We heard this from children that were in the fifth grade. That's not godly. Church, when I grew up, and it hasn't been that long ago, there was still a fundamental in our culture of the basic Judeo-Christian values. And even though there were some that weren't believers, they still believed in those values as being the best for society, even though they weren't born again even though they didn't attend church, but they recognized that the Judeo-Christian values were what made healthy and strong families. And today, we've gone totally away from that. God only wants His best for us. We've done away with the idea of adultery or infidelity, and we've retitled it in our culture 
as multiple sexual partners. Homosexuality and lesbianism, I noted it just a few minutes ago, just a little bit. It's just alternative lifestyles and it's based on the genetics, how God created me. And that recent bill in Congress, they're trying to push this bill through right now. And church, I know that this isn't an exciting message, but it's going to get exciting in a minute. Right now, they're trying to push a bill through Congress and the Senate that will do away with parents' rights where, with a, where a child as young as five years old would be able to say, I've decided to be a, not a girl any longer but a boy or, or a boy and I want to be a girl. And the parents can't have any say and the doctors have to perform whatever surgery is needed or whatever needs to be done. Church, we can't sit back. We can't just say, well... The world's going to hell in a handbag. The Bible said it was. The Lord Jesus, come get us out of here. God said, occupy till I come. Church, it's real. It's now. Our children are growing up in this. They're being taught. One of the, the new uh, ele- readers, I think it was for kindergarten or first grade in, in the state of California, talks about uh, lesbianism and having two mommies instead of a daddy. And it was, it was in the elementary reader and the, they were pushing this through to have that in all this public school. Church, we got to fight the good fight. Amen? Leviticus 18.22 says, You shall not lie with a, a male as with a female. It is an abomination. Church, I hear Christians all the time say, Well, what does the Bible really say? It doesn't get any plainer than that. Amen? And again, hey, I'm not trying to bash people that are caught up in this lifestyle. I want to love them into the life of Jesus Christ because they don't know what they're missing. They're looking for love, as the old country song says, in all the wrong places. Amen? I'm telling you, church, the best life that you can have, the most fulfilling life you can have, is when you line it up with Scripture. I'm telling you right now, I've been married 40 years. I've been married 40 years. And I'm... No. I've been married 40 years. Melinda and I got married when we were young. We were only 19 and 20. And today people gasp at that. But we decided from the beginning that we were going to live according to the Word of God. And we were going to live and raise our children according to the Word of God. We were going to pray for them. We were going to love them. And I guarantee you, we've had an awesome, wonderful life together. Adventures in God. No, we've never gotten rich. There's a lot more to life than getting rich. We've been rich in so many other ways. And I guarantee you, we, we, in our commitment to one another, God's blessed us, and our marriage is full. It's been fulfilling. In church, you can sit down, honey. I guarantee you, guys and, and ladies today, if you're young people, You don't have to get caught up in the the ideology of the world and the culture today that tells you that 
well, you just need to go ahead and experiment and have some fun and the best life you can live, according to God's Word, is to keep yourself pure until the day you get married and then make an ultimate commitment. Guess what? You're never going to have to worry about coming down with a disease. And God will bless that and it will be so much more fulfilling than when you just say, well, I'm going to sow some oats because I've seen it. Those oats become destruction in your life. You say, well, pastor, what does it say in the New Testament? Well, in Romans chapter 1, verse 27, it says, Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burning in their lust for one another, men with men, committing uh, what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. That verse tells us that there's a penalty when we're outside of God's plan. It's inevitable. It's not going to be fulfilling. It's not going to be as rich. It's not going to be what God has intended. And again, church, I'm not here to bash anybody that has an alternative lifestyle, as they call it today. But church, God's Word says it's sin, and it brings destruction. And it will always be sin, and it will always bring destruction. So what do we do, church? We pray for an outpouring of the Spirit. Are you with me? How are we going to pray? I'm going to, I'm going to close in just a minute, but I want to give you verses that tell us how we should pray. First of all, Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So we pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that will produce hope. The next generation needs hope. They're growing up in all of this mind-boggling confusion. They need to know there's hope in Jesus. And when we pray for an outpouring of the Spirit upon His sons and daughters, upon our children, guess what? Hope comes because the love of God is shed abroad in their hearts. If you don't have hope today, church, you need to open up your heart and say, Lord, I need the Spirit to pour out your love in my heart because it brings you hope. Secondly, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14 says, Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with him. In other words, we pray for an outpouring of the Spirit because, church, no situation is too dead. Did you get that? No situation is too dead for God to resurrect it. Third, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 23. Turn at my rebuke, surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. So we pray for an outpouring of the spirit so that the spirit will help our children to learn how to live for Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So here, where it... The Bible talks about the Spirit of the Lord. It's not just saying that the Spirit is the Lord's. It's saying that in this situation that the Holy Spirit comes and makes the Lordship of Jesus Lord in your life, overruling the things that desire to rule your life. 
Are you with me? The Lordship. So we pray for the Spirit of the Lord to be poured out upon our children so that they will experience the Lordship of Jesus. In Joel's prophecy, in verse 25, it says, So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. So we pray for the Holy Spirit to be poured out, church, so that it brings restoration. Amen. We encounter people all the time that need restoration because the enemies come to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's eaten away at parts of their lives. And they need restoration. And God is a God that restores. Pray for, the, for our children as well. Acts chapter 2, verse 17. We're going to close with this verse. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Everybody say prophesy. The essence of the word prophesy means to speak the Word of God in the power of God. It's not just, in you know, we see examples in Scripture where somebody was speaking a prophecy and it had to do with something that hadn't taken place and God was saying it's going to take place. And that's part of prophecy. But the essence of prophecy is doing just what I'm doing right now. This is also prophecy. Speaking the Word of God in the power of God. And you know what happened, church? When you begin to pray for God to pour His Spirit out upon your children, your grandchildren, and upon His sons and daughters, all of a sudden, guess what? You're going to see more of our kids going into full-time ministry. You know how I know that? Because I've experienced it. Melinda and I prayed Lord, pour your spirit out upon our children. And all three of our children have gone into full-time ministry in some way. In church, that's not a bad thing. No, they're never going to get rich. When I get old and retire, they're not going to be able to help me probably. but they're going to be doing things for the kingdom of God. We never told our kids growing up, we never told them, oh, you're going to be a missionary or you're going to be a preacher or you're going to do this or that in the kingdom of God. We never did that. But we prayed, God, pour your spirit out on our kids and have your will and your way done in their life. And church, when we begin to pour, when God begins to pour his spirit out and we pray for that, Guess what? God's going to get a hold of his sons and daughters and they're going to prophesy. So pray for an outpouring of the Spirit. Not just for your children or grandchildren, but for the sons and daughters in these last days. Because church, they're facing things that we never faced. I can't imagine growing up just in my lifetime from what it was then to what it is now. And daily it seems like it's escalating and getting worse. But church, 
God planned for our sons and our daughters, our grandchildren to be born when they were born. Are you with me? And guess what? He's not worried about it. But we need to pray for an outpouring of God's Spirit. Will you stand with me? Worship team, will you come?